Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jerry Davis, the recently retired NASA Ames Chief Information Officer. Jerry, this is an exit interview, so uh, congratulations on your decision to retire, and welcome to the program for, I'll say, one last time. Uh, Thank you, Jason. It's always good to be here, and yes, for one last time. (laughs) These are both uh, heartwarming and sad in many ways, because whenever someone leaves the government, it's it's like a part of you that's leaving. I know you're not disappearing off the face of the earth. But uh, it's, change is always uh, the toughest part for me. So let's just maybe talk about your decision to leave. Why now? You're still a very young man. Yeah, uh, relatively uh, young, but I still have a lot of, a lot of gray hairs that pop up. It probably has to do with uh, raising two girls over the years. I really felt like it was uh, my time to go. I recently, you know, I turned 50, and I don't know if uh, it's beyond the midlife crisis, but uh, I just really felt like it was time for me to do some some different things um, leave out of government and uh, give my uh, hand in another another world, but doing uh, very similar things that I do today. As I said to uh, my staff and to the leadership at Ames Research Center, uh, I said, you know, it's a player has to know when to walk off the field. And I said, I've been a you know a quarterback for a while, and now it's time for somebody else to come in and quarterback and move the ball down the field a little bit further than where, where I was able to get it to. Remind me, you're at Ames for about four years? Uh, about five and a half years. Five and a half years, okay. So it seems like a long time, but, it, I mean, it's not really when you think about the, the length of a CIO's role. I, I was talking to a CIO just recently, and it said, you're in the position six years. You may have the longest tenured CIO, so you, you may still be one of the longest tenured CIOs in government, <laughs> which is maybe a sad in only five and a half years. So what comes next for you? Uh, I know in your letter to the staff, you didn't say too much, but can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, I didn't I didn't say a whole lot. You know, I'm, I'm going to go to a uh, corporate uh, side of the house. Um, I will stay, uh, continue focus on very, very high-end information technology in a leadership role. I'll continue to stay in uh, cybersecurity uh, with a little bit of twist in there. But, uh, again, it's going to be in the Bay Area, and I'm looking forward uh, to this next stop. And um, what I what I like to consider is going to be a home for me. Well, very cool. I know when you're able to tell us more, we'll learn more about your next role. And uh, hopefully you'll not be a stranger to the government world. That's uh, <laughs> it's the thing that it's either someone goes all in for government or gets out totally. So hopefully you'll find a happy medium. A- absolutely. I-, I would definitely be in touch. I'm not going to be too far away. All right, let's talk about your federal career a little bit. You know, NASA Ames is where you was your last stop. But let's talk about the beginning. Uh, I think you, you enlisted as a Marine was your first stop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 1987. I was 18 years old and I listened to the uh, United States Marine Corps down uh, in San Diego, went to boot camp down there uh, in the reserve system, spent about 11 years uh, doing that. At some point, uh, 1990, I was activated and sent to the first Gulf War and uh, rode across the deserts of Saudi Arabia and into Kuwait and uh, spent about seven months uh, in that combat environment. And as I I told folks uh, on my team, I said, yeah, you know, I said, did fairly well there. The Marine Corps gave me a handful of medals and sent me on my my merry way. (laughs) And uh, uh, made my way shortly after that uh, to um, Northern Virginia area where I started work at, at CIA. Uh, one of the most fascinating jobs that I had. I worked uh, in the old Office of Facilities and Security Services, and then I went to the Director of Operations, the National Clandestine Service side of the house. I uh, was Special Operations Program Officer uh, for obvious reasons. I can't get too much into that, but a fascinating, fascinating place. Worked with a lot of interesting people. Brilliant people, dedicated people, and I love the intelligence community, and that's something I'm going to uh, miss quite a bit. Uh, and then uh, 
just uh, went and consulted for a little bit uh, for a few, handful of years and then came back to the government. Uh, that was you know, roughly about 2004. I went to the Department of Education and really loved the work there and really kind of uh, learned about government uh, while I was at the Department of Education. It's a small agency, but it, it feels like a really big agency. And uh, that was actually where I was, I was actually promoted into senior executive service at, at that time. And I was a fairly young senior executive. I was about 37 years old uh, when I came to the SES Corps. And uh, things just kept moving. NASA hired me after that, after about three or four years, and uh, went over to NASA as the uh, deputy CIO for cybersecurity. I was the chief information security officer for the agency. Another fascinating place, obviously. I was there when the shuttle was flying, and as the shuttle was downturning, and made my way over to VA. And as I said, uh, VA as a deputy assistant secretary for cybersecurity, the most fulfilling place that I worked because I really understood who we were serving, which was veterans, as I was one myself, um, and just trying to do my part. And I, I, I love, I love working for Veterans Affairs. It's a tough job. It's such a big place. A lot of moving parts. Always under the the uh, the eye of the public and and uh, uh, Congress and things of that nature, so that made it really really tough. But I loved it. And uh, shortly after that, three year stint there, made my way back out to uh, sunny uh, Northern California to Ames Research Center, uh, where I like to say, you know, being part of what the, the super geeks out there, doing some really really cool stuff, being involved in a lot of a lot of different things. I was able to span my Thoughts about cybersecurity um, and information technology and just work and some like really, really cool stuff. And five and a half years, I really didn't expect that I would be there that long, uh, you know, five and a half years uh, working in that environment by, went by really, really fast. But it was all that career. My career has been just really, really fulfilling. I've loved it all. I want to go back to the CIA and, and to the your time in the Marines. Now, in the Marines, did they train you around cyber, around IT? You, you said you rode into the desert. Were you part of a, a team that was working on cyber IT or, or was this, that came later? Yeah. So I, I, yeah, when I was in the Marine Corps, I was in the reserves, I was in uh, what they call light art, light armored infantry at the time when I went to the Gulf war When I came back in 91. Uh, one of the things I, I thought about was I was like, you know, you could get killed doing this. And so uh, I actually changed MOS as military occupational specialty jobs. And I applied for a role as a counterintelligence officer uh, in the Marine Corps, uh, counterintelligence specialist, and uh, was accepted into that program. And that's where I started learning a little bit about cyber, information security um, uh, officer, um, and IT in general. But it, the funny thing is a lot of, of my IT, early experience in IT, was self-taught. Um, I was a you know technophile, loved technology, and always tinkered around with things. But that's where I started learning about it was uh, in the Marine Corps. And then when I went into CIA, into counterintelligence, I started learning quite a bit about it there as well, as well as, as other aspects of technology in general. So was your first computer a Commodore 64? <laughs> no, it was actually a Trash 80, TRS-80. A Trash, I was going to say that. <laughs> Mine was a Commodore 64, and I just want to go on the record here that said I had my Commodore 64 until about two or three years ago when it was still at my mother's <laughs> house, and she moved and threw it out. So I'm, I'm still a little bitter about that because it would be great to hook up my, my, my DOS, MS-DOS, uh, Commodore 64. So CIA, you learned a little more, and then you really jumped in with the education department. When you look back over the, the time, you mentioned VA was a great job. You mentioned your time at NASA. What stands out to you during your career? What are some things when you say, wow, I was so glad to have learned this or worked there at this time? I mean, you know, it's it's there's huge changes in technology over the last during your career, it's really hard to put a uh, put my finger on something 
um, exactly because you know they they're all so fulfilling they all add it to the experience overall but what I would say is you know when I first got to NASA it was the idea around what today is continuous diagnosis and mitigation CDM um, but at NASA coming out of the Department of Education I've been looking at continuous monitoring and thought the way they were doing it at the time was too static and a little and, and, and I started really thinking about things at NASA and came up with this idea around what I called a near real-time situational awareness. And the idea was to uh, use everything, on, you know, use more automation and use everything on the network as a sensor, a collection sensor, um, pull that information into logs. And it was kind of like an, an, an early look at almost like data mining and maybe a little bit of AI, artificial intelligence in there. And, and it, it really kind of started to take off a little bit. And we started doing some things around NASA and building some uh, infrastructure and databases and things of that nature. And then the, the uh, uh, former federal CIO, um, member Vivek Kudrow, uh, he had heard about it and he wanted to start um, using the concept as well. But at the same time, John Stryford, who was at State Department at the time, had done something, was doing something very similar. He was a little bit further uh, ahead. I believe his was called iPost or something to that nature. But it, it really started, uh, it was my thing I was proud about that we were really moving the ball forward as related to continuous uh, diagnosis and, and mitigation. Um, and I like to believe that I had a, a little bit of, of uh, impetus in moving that forward with uh, the federal government a as a whole um, in this idea around uh, near real-time situational awareness. And now look at CDM. It's it's progressed. I know there's still some frustration with it. I know you and I have talked about CDM a little bit over the years, but it's I, I believe it's, it's making a difference. And you saw it with WannaCry. You saw it with NotPetya. You saw it with a lot of the issues that have been going on over the last year where because of the information they're collecting, the dashboards they're collecting, I mean, I, I know it's not perfect, but um, I would hopefully you may agree a little bit that this is a, it's a pretty good program, generally speaking. Right. I, 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 I agree. I agree um, to the extent that, you know, the, the most important thing I believe early on that you need to, to be able to have to have an effective program is visibility. And CDM is giving agencies visibility and understanding uh, what's on your network, how they're configured how devices are configured and what's the status is is hugely important. And with the dashboards that we have out there now, at least everybody knows what's on the network and what the configuration status is. So, you know, knowing those things, you can move a lot faster and mitigate issues a lot faster. Now, I know we've also talked about other cyber issues and let's jump into that. But first, Jerry, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll maybe talk about uh, some of the work you're doing at Ames and then also more cyber. Sure. My guest is Jerry Davis, the recently retired NASA CIO at Ames Research Center. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jerry Davis, the recently retired NASA Ames Research Center Chief Information Officer. Jerry, this is, as I said at the beginning, an exit interview. Congratulations on your decision to retire. We'll, we'll find out more about what you're doing next soon, I, I imagine. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to look back at your career a little bit. We ended the last segment talking about CDM, the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program. Let's continue to talk about cyber, something you've spent a ton of your career on. Where are we at with cyber across the federal government? Do you get a sense? Are things better? Are things about the same? Are we too static? What, what's your take about the federal government and their, their cyber hygiene, cyber uh, uh, work? 
Yeah. So when I look back over the career and I think about uh, when I came out of uh, Central Intelligence Agency and I came to uh, Department of Education, and uh, I guess it was around 2002 or so when FISMA became uh, a, a real thing. And I look back then and I think about how it was really just about awareness around cybersecurity and, and, and driving awareness to the agencies. And now agencies are doing real things. They're doing real things. We see the implementation of technology. We're being smarter around uh, things like uh, data analytics and using data analytics uh, in, the, in the cyber realm and new technologies. We're seeing uh, agencies start to lean on technologies as we get into things like quantum technologies, quantum computing for, for cyber reasons, uh, in, encryption and things of, of that nature. There's a lot going on. So we've, we've come out of this awareness over the last 10 or 15 years to actually doing real implementation. It's always a challenge, uh, the implementation, because of, of you know, long government cycles and procurements and things of that nature and contracting and, and uh, what have you. But the government is actually moving forward. And that's been really encouraging to see over the last 15 years. It's a little hard to see when you're, when you're in it. I always tell folks it's hard to see the picture when you're inside the frame. It doesn't seem like things are moving. But you step back and you kind of look and say, you know what? We, we have made really significant progress across multiple uh, administrations as well. So the continuity has been there. And so the government has been moving forward. It's, it's encouraging to see. Do you think it was the OPM breach that was the tipping point, or would you even go back to the 2006 timeframe around the Department of Veterans Affairs when the employee lost the laptop, or was it something else in between? I would take it back to uh, Veterans Affairs in 2006 with, with that deal. I think that really opened the eyes to a lot of people. A lot of people were affected, and uh, that sent shockwaves across the, the federal government. And uh, out of that, you know, we had a, a number of uh, – executive orders and memorandums that came out of OMB to, to make things happen. Uh, with with the, the breach with OPM, it just kind of highlighted, again, the need to keep moving forward. And it actually pointed back to things that, you know, the agency wasn't doing that it should have been doing, uh, you know, years prior. So, uh, again, I think it, it really started uh, with the VA uh, issue back in 2006. When you look back at different pieces of cyber and parts. Is there anything that you say, you know, it'd be nice if the government would do more of this around cyber? Is there, is there, if you were, this is the question I always ask at the end, but we'll just ask about cyber and then we'll ask more broadly later. If you were in charge for a day or two or, or a month or a year, what would be one of the first two or three things you would do around cyber to, to really make, move the needle? I think it's the skill set. I really think it's the, it's the people and the skill set. Um, we are, we as a nation, um, it are woefully behind, I believe, when it comes to producing uh, really good uh, uh, individuals that have the skill set to, to work in, in cyber, um, let alone IT. But, you know, cyber is becoming it's, it's its own thing, for lack of a, of a better term. And what I see is that we just don't have folks with the right skill sets or enough of the folks with the, with the right skill sets to really do the hard things in cyber. And I'm talking about skill sets like computer scientists and computer engineers. I think we need more uh, folks with the hard science and electrical engineering as cyber moves from just commodity IT into things like IoT, operational technology, spacecraft, aircraft. We're going to start seeing more and more issues in those areas, but the skill set to deal with those just aren't there. So I would 
focus on how do we grow that skill set and how do we get that ex get folks that experience to really deal with the challenges that we're, we're having today and they're going to continue to grow in the future this is not just a government problem though i mean this is not you see this you're out in the bay area you're in silicon valley you deal with those companies all the time through nasa ames they have the same problems too i would imagine absolutely yeah, absolutely I want to talk also, going back to your career a bit, about VA. And, and one of the big things you did at VA was actually take a big risk. You came out and you raised your hand and said, what is going on at VA is not good. It's not healthy. It's not good. It's not supportive of the veterans. By saying that VA was taking some steps to push through some authorities to operate on systems, putting millions of veterans at risk. Uh, I don't want to go back and rehash why or how or who did what, but more about the risk that you took and maybe talk a little bit about your thinking behind that risk and and what are some advice you'd give to other feds because too often we hear again like the cyber workforce piece feds are risk adverse they don't want to take a risk and you took a big one you could have been to call it yeah. what it is jerry you could have been out of a job very easily or been the one under the microscope on capitol hill and then ig investigations yeah absolutely it was a significant risk but here's the thing when i when i think about jason uh being a, a senior executive uh in the in the federal government and as you know, uh, senior executive service requires you to have uh, some traits or characteristics, the executive core qualifications, as we like to call them, right? And there's five of them. Um, and I won't go through all, all, all of them. But what, what I know in, in, in my career and what I thought about at, at that time, and I think about still to this day, is one of those core qualifications has nothing to do with self-preservation, Right. And I think uh, whether they're uh, executives or anyone in the government, I think that becomes kind of um, a, a tenet for folks is there's they get into this idea about self-preservation. That is not it's not in my DNA when it when it comes to what I saw what was what was taking place or potentially taking place at VA. I felt that if I'm going to keep anything at the end of the day, I'm going to keep my integrity. Right. And integrity around the processes to integrity around uh, the, my, my profession and being a professional. And I just felt that uh, my the risk to veterans and the risk to veterans affairs far exceeded the, the risk of, of myself and, and probably what I was what I was going to face um, at the at the end of the day. There is no way I could look myself in the mirror if some major issue at had happened because I had not taken the steps to to bring the attention to this to this issue. If something major happened, there there's no way I could live with myself with that, knowing that I had an opportunity to to raise raise the issue. My uh, advice, suggestion, or anything to to anyone that's out there, whether you're an executive or or uh, a leader, or just uh, a low level maybe GS employee is that at the end of the day, you always got to keep your, your integrity in check. And, and I said that in my letter, uh, exit letter, farewell letter to my employees, to my entire organization, was to, um, you know, integrity is about, you know, doing the right thing even when no one's looking. And I always talked about that with, with my folks. And it has helped me in my career is one of the things that I learned early on in my career is one of the things I learned as a Marine. It, you know, it's one of the one of the traits that they that you have to have as a Marine is integrity. And uh, I would tell folks, keep your integrity in check. You know, don't 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 sell that for anything. It's it sounds so easy, right? It sounds like, <laughs> oh, just do the right thing. But I imagine you've experienced this, not just at VA, but at, at other places where what is the right thing? And the, does the right thing go against 
what the administration, the leadership, your boss's boss's boss wants to do, even though it's not technically maybe wrong, it's just would take the agency, the organization in a direction that maybe just doesn't make a lot of sense or is more risky. Like, like, how do you find that balance? Because part of it is you, your background as a, as a retired Marine, as a former CIA officer in cybersecurity, you probably said, ah, I can probably find another job pretty easily. This is not to say other people can't, but, and it's not an ego thing with you, but it's just the truth. Yeah. So, so do you think that played a bigger role that, that how, how do you keep that integrity while facing all these other things that, that, that in front of you? It's maybe a little bit in the back of your mind. You, you kind of figure, well, if this goes really bad, <laughs> I can always find a, another job. Maybe in the back of my mind, that, that I, as I look back, it, I've never had to call on that. Because the, let's the, look at the reality, right? You have a mortgage to pay. You have bills to pay. You have a car payment. You have kids in college or whatever, right? Like all those things weigh into a decision to do I rock the boat or not? And if I rock the boat and I lose my job, wow, that that has a trickle down, a serious snowball effect. So I think that also plays into why maybe all of us in some ways have a risk aversion. I mean, not just people in government, but but across the board. And how do you kind of get your mind around that too? Yeah, you know, it's it's, a, it's an individual decision, Jason. Just, you know, as you said, everybody has to deal with that. Uh, I think at some time in their in their career and their life, you know, even outside of the workplace, right? You have to make these decisions and. And like I said, you can be strong and That's that's in my DNA, right? It's it's got to be part of your your DNA. Um, and you're always doing, you know, in the workplace. I'm always going through this risk management exercise in your head. No matter what you're doing, you're at a meeting with folks, and something the meeting is the conversations are going certain ways, and you have different opinions. You're always going through these really short risk. Like, well, if I say that, then this could happen. So you're constantly going through this, and uh, you know, it's like it seems like your life has, you know, my life uh, is, is largely a, a a life of I'm living, I'm managing risk every second of the day in conversation and things that you're doing. But the integrity aspect of it, you know, individuals have to live with themselves at the end of the day, and there's just no way I can live with myself by doing something I knew this emphatically was just wrong. There's no way I can live with myself. Any regrets, whether it's VA or uh, anything else? I have I have zero regrets. I've enjoyed everything I've done in the government. I have zero regrets. Jerry, let's take a quick break. We come back, maybe we'll talk a little bit about Ames. My guest is Jerry Davis, the recently retired NASA CIO at Ames Research Center. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jerry Davis, the recently retired NASA Ames Research Center CIO. Uh, Jerry, as I mentioned earlier in the program, this is an exit interview. Again, sorry to see you go, but um, I always enjoy catching up with the person one last time about their career. Last time you were on my show was October 2014, and at that time, you had several initiatives going on. You had some work around cloud, some workforce uh, focus areas, and then, of course, Security Operations Center. So maybe just start by give us an update of some of your priorities, what's on the to-do list, if you will, for the next CIO at Ames. You know, going back to 2014, there has been uh, a lot that has, has taken place in this, uh, in this in the last four years or so. You know, with respect to cloud, you know, Ames is the agency's uh, cloud service office. Uh, so all, you know, uh, projects, initiatives that are using cloud services come through Ames. And we're, uh, for lack of a better term, really the broker to get you out to the cloud and uh, provision uh, cloud services for you. When the federal government came out with the initiative about cloud first, 
you know, I was a little skeptical about cloud uh, for, for a number of reasons, but cloud has really turned out to be uh, really in a, in an amazing adventure, <laughs> you know, and I think for NASA, and I, we're seeing a tremendous amount of value of cloud technologies and using the cloud uh, at NASA as a whole. So we're still at, at Ames. Uh, my organization is responsible for delivering cloud services or provisioning cloud services to the rest of the agency. A lot of our uh, different missions, science uh, missions, for for example, are one of our big customer bases that are using cloud for a number of different technologies, whether it be for data storage or uh, infrastructure as a service and things of that nature. Uh, we're seeing a, a tremendous uptick relative to uh, cloud. Um, on the side of workforce, workforce is, is difficult. We talked about that a little earlier, Jason, whether it's in IT in, in general or whether it's in, in cybersecurity as you kind of drill down. Workforce is, is extremely difficult, not just at NASA, not just in the government across the nation. Um, we're still having a really hard time of acquiring uh, individuals with the, with the right skill sets, but even more so is retaining, you know, retention of those individuals, particularly in the Bay Area. It is, it is a, a slug fest out there of trying to, trying to hold folks. And, uh, you know, when we kind of look at why are we unable to retain and that sort of thing, you know, a lot of folks want to say, uh, well, it's because the government doesn't pay as well and things of that nature. Not, that's really, I mean, it's true. The government doesn't, can't pay as much as you would get paid in, in private industry for the same job. But what I find ultimately, it's really around the work. Uh, and keeping people interested and doing interesting things in the work. Folks come to NASA not to get rich, but because of the work and our, 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 our rich history and our brand and the things that we do. But you can only take that so far as it relates to technology and what are you doing in technology. People want to be challenged. And if they find that they're not getting that, that challenge, then they're going to go find that challenge somewhere else, whether it's at Facebook or Google or, or LinkedIn or any, anywhere. You, know, you, you pick it. They're going to go where the challenges are. And and by the way, in the Bay Area, oh, if I go to where that challenge is and it happens to be at one of those places, I'm going to make a lot more money at the same time. So it is a tremendous, tremendous challenge. And I haven't seen really a lot of, of change in that area. I think it's kind of flat. And I, everybody is still struggling on on what we do in, in those areas around that, that workforce environment. On the Security Operations Center side, and we've been managing since uh, 2008. That was one of my first initiatives they gave me when I came to NASA as a Chief Information Security Officer in 2007 was to consolidate security operations and build a security operations center. It's really grown. Uh, it's become a, a, a key cog in the cybersecurity uh, machine of NASA. We are mo moving now to what we call the Security Operations Center 2.0, and uh, Mike Witt, who is the newly uh, minted Chief Information Security Officer uh, for NASA, uh, is really uh, pushing to, you know, I kind of say that look more more integration with uh, intelligence, making a security intelligence center, bringing in other areas outside of traditional cybersecurity, bringing in Office of Protective Services and, and uh, cyber intelligence, uh, counterintelligence, fusion center, bringing in uh, high fidelity information around threats, vulnerabilities uh, into the security operations center for the better of NASA and getting more into the mission space, operational technology. So that's a, it's a, it's a heavy lift. Mike's got his work cut out for him, but He's a smart guy. He's a sharp guy. He's been around government for a long time. I really admire him and, and the work that he's doing. But um, it's taken off, and uh, I'm really proud. Of, that's one of my one of, also one of my my proud uh, things. I'm most proud of is Security Operations Center and and how that's grown over the years. 
Let me back up to the cloud piece for a second. One of the things you talk about, you act as sort of the broker. So maybe describe how that works. If if I'm over at JPL, if I'm over at uh, Johnson Space Center, and I, I'm working on a project that I think I need some cloud, do I call up someone in your office and say, give me the cloud? How does it work? <laughs> that's, that's A little bit, that's kind of how it works. Yeah, so uh, we don't run uh, a private cloud uh, so much anymore at NASA. You, you might recall back in the 2009, 2010 timeframe, we had Nebula, uh, which was our own private cloud, and underneath that, uh, NASA developed, along with Rackspace, the concept of OpenStack, which is used uh, you know, globally now. You, you're uh, one of our mission directors or program or project, and you want to go to the cloud, uh, you want to infrastructure service, yeah, yeah, absolutely, you come through the cloud service office, which is at Ames. We have individuals there who take your requirements and help find the best solution for you. So it may be, uh, and we're agnostic, it could be an Amazon, it could be a Google Cloud, it could be Azure with Microsoft, uh, it doesn't matter. We just take your requirements and help provision you and get you there and do the administrative back-end work, like the billing and, and that sort of thing, the usage, um, and make sure that uh, you get your bill and that sort of, and that the bill is paid. So uh, we're, we're, we're a service office and uh, help develop your requirements and help you figure out what you need in the cloud. Is this a fee-for-service that NASA provides, or is this something that the headquarters, for instance, has said you're a shared service, similar to what we see at the NASA Shared Services Office? At it's down at, at Stennis Space yeah. Center. It is a fee-for-service you know, so you pay by the drink. Um, and uh, again, we help uh, with the belling and, and things of that nature, help you get set up. Generally speaking, you have contracting officers as well, meaning not just write the requirements and deal with the back end, but somebody who will work with that the mission area and say, okay, what are you trying to do? What are your goals? You kind of walk through that piece as well? Right. Yeah. We have uh, specialists who are uh, their their whole kind of lot in life has been cloud <laughs> and how the cloud works and and security of the cloud and what is security uh, different elements of security you will need and uh, those individuals walk through that with the customer from a CIO's perspective does this make your life easier when NASA Ames outside this cloud office wants to move to the cloud you have one belly button to push yeah it makes a it makes it a lot easier because. Um, now I know, say, for instance, at Ames, if I have individuals who are using a cloud service, it's managed. And I know where they're going versus uh, that that customer spinning up their own instance somewhere where we have no idea what they're using, what protections they have around it, how it's being managed. Now I can go and I can see what cloud uh, providers people are using, how the security is set up. I already know how the security is set up. It makes life a lot easier from from a management perspective, much easier. It's interesting now, does this come out of your office's cloud or is this kind of attached to but separate from the NASA CIO aims? No, this is uh, this comes out of um, the agency. Um, and again, we just manage it on behalf of the agency. Let's talk a little bit about workforce as well. From a CIO's perspective, as you're looking to try to hire a data scientist, a cybersecurity expert, someone who can do cloud, how do you how do you make that case when you have the competition is is at the highest peak in the Silicon Valley Bay Area? You know, for NASA, it, it, the, the brand is so attractive, and and when we put that out there, you know, we get people from all over the place that want to come and work for for NASA. And, you know, when I've when I've been in meetings with the executive staff at Ames, and we're just talking about workforce in general, you know, and it's and again, it's beyond just IT. When we're talking about you know aeronautical engineering and things of that nature. 
uh, in the Silicon Valley, you know, all of, all of the major players are, are looking for the same types of folks. But NASA, what we're what we're having uh, that's our uh, strong point is again is that brand. So once we've kind of put the brand out there, people launch on that brand. But it's only gonna you know it can, it can only take you so far. Eventually, again, you gotta keep people interested. Um, and if they're not interested uh, in something over the long term, they're not constantly being challenged. They're gonna go look somewhere else. And we have a lot of competition again in Silicon Valley and nationally. You know, you know, NASA. We have a lot of competition with the SpaceX's of the world. You know, um, Google or Alphabet as they're called now. They're into a lot of different things. You know, autonomy. So. At Ames, we have uh, intelligent adaptive systems, artificial intelligence, robotics. Well, that same skill set is what you need for a, a, a driverless car. You need someone that has that skill set. So we're constantly pushing and pulling and, and um, uh, in direct competition with an alphabet. Um, but again, if we start off with our brand. People love to have that brand. Looks good on a resume as well. Uh, but that's how we, we initially start uh, with that attraction. We just kind of let the brand speak, speak for itself. And the last thing I want to catch up with you about around uh, NASA Ames, your work there, is uh, something called Griffin X. Uh, give us a, the 30-second reminder what it is. It's a cybersecurity idea, but and then tell us what's the latest. Yeah, Griffin X was really just a, uh, a an idea about a, a platform um, that is essentially a cybersecurity, uh, what I call a cyber range or a big sandbox. And the idea was to be able to do research and development, applied research and development, uh, testing evaluation around cybersecurity technologies for commodity IT and for space platforms and to do training, to do information sharing um, around what we find in the R&D of cybersecurity platforms. And what's the latest with that? Are you making some progress with it? Are you starting to use some of the, the, the sandboxes? Yeah, so uh, Griffin X was, was tough. It was, I had to, you know, you had to sell it to the agency. Griffin X, Cybersecurity is not uh, an agency core competency, right? We're into space flight and aeronautics and sciences. So it was. Uh, it took three years of pushing a wit noodle uphill, as I like to tell folks. And the agency finally kind of started to to grasp onto it. Um, we, we, we got a little seed money. We started building out a lab to start dealing with operational technology and impacts of cyber and operational technology. But one of the bigger things I think we've had come out of recently is if you look back a handful of months ago, there was an issue around um, a, a particular manufacturers of drones, and those drones had vulnerabilities that were across the DOD space and civilian agencies like NASA who use them, and they grounded all the, all the drones. Well, what we did was we took a look at these uh, devices and moved them under the, the, the Griffin App labs and figured out a way to mitigate the, the vulnerabilities uh, in these drones and continue to fly them um, with known vulnerabilities without um, losing any data or having a, uh, a external entity uh, take control over the drone. So we were really, really proud of that. It was a lot of work, but with a lot of smart people that we had at Ames, including not just from the cyber side of the house, but with our scientists, engineers, and researchers working with us who actually fly these platforms. And that was the, one of the tenets of Griffin X was that we would use in-house resources and it would be cyber folks working with scientists, researchers, and engineers to solve uh, what we see as intractable problems from cybersecurity perspective. So it worked out really well. And Ames was one of the first centers to get all its drones flying again. And we took that knowledge that we developed and became aware of and passed that around to other NASA centers. And they're now using the same uh, solution that we came up with to get their drones flying again as well. 
Very cool. Great example of a an idea that took a while, pushed that noodle up the hill, and eventually you, you made some progress. Uh, Jerry, we're going to take another quick break. We can come back. We can uh, talk about maybe some advice you'd give to other CIOs. My guest is Jerry Davis, the recently retired NASA Ames Research Center CIO. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is the recently retired CIO, Jerry Davis, who recently retired from NASA Ames Research Center after about five and a half years. Uh, Jerry, you're heading to the private sector again. Congratulations. Sorry to see you go. So this brings us to the part of the show where I have to ask you, when a new NASA Ames CIO comes in, I guess who's going to be the acting? Do you know who that is yet? We don't know yet. I, I am actually uh, putting together uh, a short uh, you know, little su- succession plan for the folks at, at Ames and for for Renee Wynn, the, the CIO, and what I think or who I think may best serve in the acting capacity. So in the journalism world, we have something what was commonly referred in early in my career called a beer truck memo, right? What would happen if you got hit by a beer truck? Could someone take that memo <laughs> and do your job? So what kind, what's on your, if you will, beer truck memo for the next uh, NASA AIMS CIO? <laughs> NASA is, is, a, is an interesting place. AIMS is a, is, a, is a very interesting place. It would be to continue to, to build relationships. You have to go in, build relationships, and really, really understand the work of our, of our customers. Um, if you don't understand the, the work of the customers, um, you're not going to be of much value to the customer at the end of the day. And the work is so unique and it's so diverse that you have to get a really good understanding um, of that work. So, that, you know, so from an advice perspective, that's the first thing I would tell someone. Get in, understand the, understand the work, understand your customer, and then start laying out, you know, mapping the services to the customer needs. And, you know, do they, do they map well? Do we have gaps? And then try to figure out how to start filling those gaps. Was that what you did when you came back to NASA? You spent the first month, six months, just learning the mission areas of AIMS specifically? Um, I did. I, I, um, I had a um, customer relationship uh, individual. And what we did was we went to, I believe we set up 12 meetings ar- among our different directorates at AIMS. And we went down a few levels below the, the director, the director's office in, in those organizations, down into divisions and branches. And we just talked about IT. And for the most part, I let them vent what they didn't like, what didn't work with them. And as I sat there, I would ask them, what do you do here? And I found that people, they love, people love to talk about what they do. And that built relationship. They showed that I showed that I was interested in what they did. And by them venting about what things didn't work for them, it gave me kind of a roadmap on, on things on that we needed to work for. We took all those, their issues or their concerns or, or venting and made themes and put them in buckets, and then we started working on each of those buckets. So we know IT is never done. You're never modernized. You're never fully secure. If there's one or two things that are at the top of your list of the to-do list for your next the next CIO at Ames, what project initiative program would you say, here's your one and one A? Number one, I'm going to go back to to what I know, which is cybersecurity. It's, it's at the top of everybody's list still. Keep focus on cybersecurity beyond just commodity environment, IT environment. We're starting to see vulnerabilities, issues, threats moving into platforms, things like satellites, aircrafts. Start focusing on and developing, continue to develop a methodology and risk management of cyber issues around those platforms. That's something I would push really, really hard. 
Excellent. You've also spent time outside of NASA. We talked about VA education, your time at CIA. What other advice would you give to CIOs, CISOs who are in government today or are looking to come to government? The biggest thing, Jason, has zero to do with technology. It has everything to do with people. Isn't that, it's always about the culture, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. It's always, it's always about the culture. My thing is take care of, take care of people. I think that when I look at big government and you look all the way down into things that we're responsible for at NASA or whether it was VA or, or, or whether it's at Department of Education, you know, you get these scorecards and they have a bunch of metrics and you're always reporting on these metrics. And what I, what I always tell folks, I said, you know, we need to stop trying to manage metrics and manage culture and performance. And a lot of that is take, you know, take care of people. I'm very people centric, take care of the people and the people will definitely take care of you. Any successes that I've had are largely on the backs of the people that I've worked with uh, over the last 20 years or so that I've, that I've been in the government. It's always people that have made me successful and I'll accept my failures. I think leaders should accept the failures, but the successes, you definitely need to spread that out among the people and let people know um, that they're, uh, they, they are absolutely a key cog in the machine of government and to, to other leaders. I could not have been successful by any stretch of imagination without the great people that have worked for me or worked with me over the years. It's all about the people, focus on the people. There's been a push recently, I'd say in the last year and a half or so, to change the CIO culture maybe bringing in CIOs who are more business-focused, maybe more people who are less into the technology weeds. Do you get a sense that's a good change for the CIO community, or is there are we, is the pendulum swinging maybe just a little too far? Because you, you as, a, as a CIO, a former CISO, you have to understand the technology too. What, what's, where's the happy medium? You, you definitely have to find a, a balance. Um, I think you need, you need the, the business aspects of it to understand that. You got to have the definitely have the, the soft skills, but you have to understand technology. <laughs> you know, you have to understand how, how it how it applies. Information technology is uh, I like to call it a pervasive, you know, subject or uh, absolute foundation to uh, the business of what you do. If you don't understand IT at the very fundamental levels, how can you improve the uh, the business? That you work for, whether it, it be a NASA flying you know rockets and aircraft, or whether it be at the Department of Education where you're trying to deliver grants, loans, student aid, you have to understand the very base. So you have to find a good balance. I think a person has to have a good balance between information technology, understanding that, and, and business acumen and things of that nature. Uh, Jerry, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your federal service. So my guest has been Jerry Davis, the recently retired Ames Research Center, NASA Chief Information Officer. Again, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Jason. It's always been a pleasure. Thanks for having me in over the years. You've been listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Subscribe to this show on Podcast One or iTunes. 